endless chain of events. We're lost in a game of chance to a new master who turns out to be a smuggler. Then we're tossed overboard with the stolen goods whilst he gets himself arrested. Hello and welcome to In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast. I'm your host, William T. Thrasher, and this is my counterpart, Matt Bradley Shergi. Hello there. And this is the show where we are going to go through episode by episode, break down, analyze, and reconstruct every single episode of Droids, The Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO, a, amazingly enough, a Star Wars obscurity from the early 1980s. Yeah, the uh, this was the pilot episode we're talking about, The White Witch, and it aired uh, September 7th, 1985. Uh, this is according to Wikipedia. And um, animated by Nilvana, you know, better known for things like the Babar cartoons and Care Bears. And they also animated the uh, animated segment on the infamous Star Wars Holiday Special. They they were an animation studio with an amazing pedigree uh, and, and had some amazing things. Like they did uh, the animation for Rock and Rule, which is a, a fascinating uh, science fiction uh, adventure animated film. Uh, also, and th- we could do a whole episode on this, and who knows, uh, maybe we will. We're still feeling out the format of the show. There's still plenty of bonus episodes we could do. Nelvana was involved with an animated Doctor Who television series that never happened. Also, Novana was involved with a animated Willow series that never happened. Concept artwork leaked for that, and um, it's quite good. Dang, I'm gonna have to look that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, you could tell loved science fiction, and they're still around. They still do quite a lot of um, cartoons. I, I didn't, you know, I don't watch um, this kind of animation very much anymore. But I, I pulled up their website, and sure enough, they have they're still successful. Several shows still in production, so. Um, Cool, and actually, uh, I looked up some some stuff real quick before we talk about the the show Thrasher. Uh, the director Ken, Ken Stevenson was the same man who directed the animated segment from the holiday special. Oh, very cool! So I thought that that's pretty cool. And the writer uh, on this one, Peter Sauter, uh, wrote other things for Novana, including the three uh, first three Care Bears movies huh. and Strawberry Shortcake, which was another big Novana property. There, there was a lot of branded content in the early 80s that ended up in animation. Yes. Uh, I think that might be what defined 80s Saturday morning cartoon animation. Um, and that being said, you know, animation is something George Lucas always he had involvement on the show on, on some level. Uh, he had to approve things, and 
he was he enjoyed animation uh, starting with his film school at um, USC and, and so forth. And he it, famously he once I don't know why I say famously for pieces of trivia that only I know, but he <laughs> um, so he was working with uh, Ron Howard on American Graffiti, and Ron Howard was wanting to direct and do film school and stuff. And uh, George Lucas told Ron. Hey, you know, uh, oh, uh, film school is great. You especially love animation because you don't have to work with the actors. <laughs> so voice actors aren't real actors. Right. <laughs> I think, and, and you look at how George Lucas um, continually modifies his stuff over and over and over again. It, um, that, that says something about how his approach to, to, to film is, I suppose. But this is uh, back to Star Wars droids. Uh, we talked about this in episode zero, but did uh, I think we first saw this on the when Sci-Fi Channel showed the repeats? Is that true? Well, I know. So I I was alive in 1985. Presumably you were as well. Yes, uh, I was born in '82, and yeah. I remember seeing ads for this show. And I know I must have seen an episode or two in 1985. Unfortunately, the only thing from that time period I can really remember is Transformers. But the uh, so my first conscious memories of seeing Star Wars droids, yes, was when it ended up rerunning on the Sci-Fi Channel in the early nineties. Right. So um, this this first episode of the show, and and like we see throughout this pretty brief, you know, only season and, and uh, movie that the show got. Is uh, I say movie. What do you call that one? A movie, The Great Heap. I don't know what you call it. It's it's fun to look at it like a movie, but we'll get to yeah, that let's call when it we movie. come to it. Sure. Um, this cartoon actually has story arcs, which is quite unusual for the time. Well, the there's a lot of things about this series uh, that, that are ahead of its time. Uh, this, I, I will go so far as to say this may very well be, at least as far as the original trilogy goes, the most faithful adaptation of Star Wars to the small screen uh, ever made. It also has relatively speaking, big-name actors. I mean, we have Anthony Daniels reprising his role as C-3PO, and we have R2-D2 as himself. We have long-term story arcs. We have more complex character relationships. The animation is better than pretty much anything being made for television at the time. The characters don't look like action figures. They look like characters that were designed to be characters. Their movements are a little bit more fluid and a little bit more uh, expressive. The voice acting, going back into the series, I also found it a lot more natural. The characters are allowed to have more subtle personalities and not just big archetypes. Right, they're not just doing like big imitation of actors from the forties or something. Yeah, right. and, I, and I don't um, remember if I mentioned this in in the 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 episode zero, but I I can imagine a world where Batman the animated series didn't bring the animation renaissance. This show did, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. this show is a very singular anomaly. It did not have the impact I think it, it deserved to have. Oh, but as long as we're talking about big names, uh. The theme song to Droids, uh, Trouble Again, who you heard covered by Cybertronic Spree in the intro to our very own podcast, uh, it is per- written and performed by Stuart Copeland of The Police. Yeah. Oh, and, and Derek Holt. Yes. It, it's, uh, I think we mentioned this in episode zero, super catchy tune, and it it brilliantly spells out the, the premise for the show. I mean, think about it. A show about droids, a show about robots, really, is a weird concept. 
Especially in that they're not robots that they're just trying to fight each other like Transformers. These are robots that um, are servants, basically. Yeah, they are designed to serve specific purposes and are always getting in over their heads because they are compelled by the nature of their programming to assist whoever claims ownership of them at the time. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about the show's format. It's not apparent in this first episode, but throughout the series, R2-D2 and C-3PO will pass between many different owners, and each owner has a different personality, a different story arc, and fundamentally changes the nature of the stories they find themselves in. Well, I think that's so smart that they change their uh, masters throughout the series. And, And I almost wonder... Maybe that's why this show didn't go on to have many yeah. seasons yeah, and its right. own movie. Because I am sure the network... Well, wait, so we we got a Star Wars show, but the only characters we have are R2 and C-3PO? Where's Han Solo? Where's Luke Skywalker? Where's Princess Leia? Like, I feel like that had to be a question everyone was constantly asking throughout the production of the show and throughout its initial airing. And and yet, right. that's one of the things I like about this show. In all honesty, all those characters, big-name characters I just mentioned, their stories are done uh, by Return of the Jedi. But R2-D2 and C-3PO, as this kind of Laurel and Hardy of the spaceways, I can see them just always getting sucked up into different sagas. And that's what I like about them. This is a show where the main characters are technically the supporting characters of much bigger stories. Yeah, they're the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, to use another reference. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and the way this show starts is R2-D2 and C-3PO, this episode, episode one, The White Witch, uh, they get dumped onto Ingo in the Vaj Desert, and th- there's this line from C-3PO, I think, that's so great, that sets up, you can imagine, like, it was must have been a previous story arc or something, and I'm surprised when, you know, if the show had gone longer, maybe would have got this story, but it's a... Uh, Oh, what a perilous chain of events. We're lost in a game of chance to a new master who turns out to be a smuggler, then we're tossed overboard with the stolen goods whilst he gets himself arrested. And it's and it's great. And like that's that's kind of like all we all you need get. to know. <laughs> but it's it's in keeping with Star Wars, because essentially it is in Meteores. Like they just fell out of a different story. <laughs> right. And they you know, they go to all sorts of planets and, and oh I'm so excited to talk about this. All sorts of planets and different stuff in this series. And it, it's really, um, they really have a nice scope to what goes on. At the same time, they're not always, they're not stories about we have to save the universe every time. Well, that's true. I like that the stakes can be very small. And oh, so one thing I want to point out, so they're in, they're in this desert. And one thing that I kind of love that's pointed out, it's not a desert of sand. It's a desert of acidic mineral salts. <laughs> It's that kind of fine detail that, I mean, this really feels like a science fiction show. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they, well, that, that's one of the, the strengths of Star Wars. There's all these, like, little things that help keep the science fiction momentum going with the Spice Mines of Kessel or the Blue Milk. Um, this show does the same thing, and it is pretty much just just as subtle, because the whole notion of acidic acid salts, that's just one little line mixed in in a larger C-3PO comedic gripe session. But I like that it's there. It, 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 it helps express how big and expansive Star Wars is. And it's less on the nose than a character uh, dipping their hand into the ground, licking their fingers, and then commenting on how the ground is made of salt. Are you referring to Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi? I, I, I am. And it's just that, like, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever been outside 
But over the age of four, that's usually when people stop scooping up handfuls of the ground and tasting it. Yes, the uh, oral fixations give way to fixations of a different sort. That well, sounded dirty. I'll like, like I don't um, mind the idea that there's a desert <laughs> salt. Uh, there's a desert of salt in uh, yes. uh, the Last Jedi, but that that scene could have been a lot cleaner and motive. If you're going to drop that information, it could have been less awkwardly presented. But that's another story altogether. Never mind. Speaking of clean, uh, how do you what do you think about C-3PO and R2D2's first masters we get in this series, George Desat and Thal Jobin? Okay, so I, I love I love these two guys because again this this goes back to American graffiti. They're two hot rod kids. Uh, yeah, they're, they're two young men who are really into fixing up vehicles, and their dream is they're working on this really sleek speeder that they've named the White Witch that they want to enter into this big intergalactic racing circuit. And I really like them. They're best friends. They both have two very different personalities. The other thing I like about them design-wise is they look just like they stepped off the pages of West End Games Star Wars tabletop RPG. Uh, every character in that game looks like these two. What, what It really reminded me of the way they looked and moved around was um, Heavy Metal, that cartoon. Yes! Yes! This very much has echoes of, of heavy metal, both in the character design, the animation, and in the, the hyper-detailed backgrounds. And uh, even and this is something that the show does well, and Star Wars uh, sometimes does good does a good job of this in the movies, is this feels like a fully lived-in universe and characters with fully lived-in lives that you just have to be popping in on a day or two of what's going on. Yeah, everything Jordan seems to have... Jordan all have a nice rapport. The characters are not just clones of each other. Jordan is more... Um, laid back. It, it, I, it, something about the voice reminded me a bit of John Candy a little bit. Just huh. Some sort of gregarious. You know, there is a little bit of that in him. And and Thal um, has the cooler haircut with half the head. It's very Mad Max sort of yeah. post-apocalyptic half, punk uh, half, look going on. Half the head shaved, pony, uh, a mohawk in the middle, ponytail, <laughs> other half a little bit shaggy. Yeah, it, it's... it's uh, it gives him character, and uh, and Thal is really the sort of speed demon, right? Yeah, I mean he he's he's the guy uh, he's the guy that that really wants to pilot the White Witch, and so this is something that I got to say I do like with with Star Wars. You see the title on screen, um, the White Witch, and I love that the White Witch is metaphorical. It's the name of a vehicle. They're not actually going to meet a someone with magic powers. Yes, and I assumed it was going to be someone with magic powers. Because, uh, I don't know, it's, it's science fiction, and it, it, it's delightfully misleading. And when they go, oh, this is my this is the, the cool uh, uh, hot rodder I've been working on, the White Witch. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I like it, though. That's a badass name for a ship. It is. It's a smart a misdirect. Um, R2-D2 and C-3PO, they're wandering through the desert. But, yeah, Jord and Thal are, are, run, are just kind of are just doing a little runabout uh, on their own speeders. And they find them, and so I like fast talking C three PO. I love C three PO when he's when he's captured by the job by the Jawas, and he's doing everything mm. he can to get himself sold to 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 yeah. somebody. And he's doing that here, where he keeps trying to sort of speak talk speak to his virtues uh, and the virtues of R two D two. But they only care about R two D two because they do need an astromech droid uh, to interface with the White Witch, is I guess part of its part of its system somehow. And they only care about R2. They don't give a damn about C-3PO. And he keeps trying to butt into their conversation. 
Yeah. But yeah, they're rescued. Oh. They get uh, they get new masters. But then it turns out that uh, Jordan Tall are near an area called this restricted zone, and they know that because there's a mystery woman watching them through binoculars. Uh, and they suddenly start getting chased by these tank droids and by these explosive spheres. And this leads to one of the more funnier moments as, as C-3PO at one point gets cornered by a tank droid. And in desperation, he picks up a rock and throws it at the tank droid at the exact same moment that this mystery woman fires a bazooka at the tank droid. The tank droid blows up and everybody just kind of assumes C-3PO destroyed it. Um, well, and then later on in the episode, C-3PO brags about the moment and it's like, super false but yet charming at the same time he's like did did I tell you about a time that I took out a, a tank droid with a mere rock I, I almost kind of wish that that was the whole story was a sort of I killed seven with one blow uh, thing yeah yeah like he embellished on it this hero. It's, it's really something um, and the little explosive spheres that chase them it reminded me a little bit of those famous spheres from Phantasm oh yeah and this is also when we the antagonists are introduced. So it turns out this restricted zone, it's a secret base. And it wouldn't be Star Wars without a secret base, but it's the secret <laughs> base of Tig Fromm, who's this uh, alien gangster. He's the son of a more of a more legendary gangster. And so he and his uh and his and his uh sideman, they're doing they're doing something illegal in this base. They never quite I guess they never quite explain what it is. I guess they're manufacturing drugs or illegal technology or something. But Tig Fromm, you know, he's like, we're not like the old country and the old ways. We're going to do things modern. You can't trust people. So his whole criminal operation is it's all done by by droids. Uh, but he's worried that these two guys, and so he's responsible for the tank droids and the exploding spheres. He's worried that these two guys have... Uh, have uh, witnessed too much of the operation, so he decides he's going to send uh, some muscle droids out uh, to to deal with them. Well, and there's a nice, I guess, sort of in the tradition of like uh, you were talking Transformers earlier, sort of like um, Megatron and oh, I'm an idiot, Star uh, Scream. Thank you, or, or like Cobra Commander and uh, and all the, all the all the rest and, and Destro, all that stuff. Uh, a nice sort of thing between. Um, the uh, the sort of assistant person and the main bad guy. The assistant is this bigger guy called Vlix, and he argues that you know he used to be part of a of a seems like a street gang or something. And he argues that humans are better than machines for doing jobs. Well, people. He doesn't say humans. Okay, he doesn't say people. Right. I guess aliens. Right. Or, or organic beings are better than. <laughs> Than robots, and the other one, and his master is uh, cease from is sort of saying like, "Oh no 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 no, we got to um, or never mind Tig, sorry, cease is his uh, sis, whatever it is, his, his father. Tig is like, no, I believe in the technolo- techno- technological revolution, blah blah blah. So I mean that they have the sort of back and forth with that is interesting, and, and I just see love- a lot of cool robot designs. I, oh, they're gorgeous. And I just love how much of an old-school gangster uh, Vlix is. I love how he's always straightening his tie, cracking his knuckles, making these veiled threats. Yeah. Just um, talking kind of like he's a heavy in a gangster movie. Exactly, and, and he looks like it, too. And just, uh... God, even, even these names are so perfectly Star Wars-sounding, which is such a tough thing to get right, because you can... You know, you put too many consonants and stuff in it, and it sounds more like Star Trek, and it needs to be pronounceable. But at the same time, it needs to sound alien and weird and not natural. 
Oh, and this is when uh, the third uh, part of our of our dot, a triad comes in. So we go we go to um, Jordan Tall's uh, machine shop. Uh, where they sh- where they're showing off the White Witch, uh, and then the mystery woman from the desert who saves them shows up, and then she's revealed that her name is Kia Mall, and that she's a uh, she's a uh, a cruiser pilot, but her cruiser broke down and crashed in the desert, and she needed someone to help bring it online. Saw that they were mechanics, and so she went to them. Right, and it's uh, it's great we have a female character. Star Wars has always had those, and uh, strong female characters, and. She can take care of herself in a fight, and and so I don't know if you noticed this about about uh, Kia Mall, but her her hairstyle is almost exactly the same hairstyle as Pumira from Thundercats. I see that now that you mention it. I haven't thought about Thundercats in years, but it's like this weird kind of like half nineteen twenties, half nineteen eighties haircut with these big poofy uh, white streaks in the middle. Yeah, the white streaks make it the '80s. Had it been the other one, I agree. It's more like the the '20s, and they they have like jackets and stuff is a big thing they have on, and um, <laughs> so the the droids are are what the the muscle droids. They capture Jord. Yeah, yeah. They they capture Jord. Bring him. Uh, bring him to the secret base, uh, and so. Uh, Thal and Kia decide they're going to have to find a way to sneak into that base and uh, rescue Jord. And you have some very uh, amusing comedy scenes between Jord and the gangsters. Well, I love like how like <laughs> Jord like uh, Jord is completely nonchalant like the entire yes. time. Like He's he sits not... down, he props <laughs> his feet up on Tig's command console. There's even this big thing. I am Tig from. Oh, you're Tig from. I thought you were your father. I uh-huh. didn't have to worry about. <laughs> no, it's a it's a nice moment. It's uh, just pretty crazy to. I mean, it it sets up like the jealousy of the character Tig and that he's not the man his father is but he he um but you, you get a good character bit where uh Jord says like oh you want to take over all the other gangs and kind of be the head one and they're like how did you know but actually yes you're correct we want to you know and they sort of do the James Bond gag of giving away the plan so uh I uh, something I want to point out here um, that that we have not yet uh, brought up, but th- apparently this series is meant to take place before Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, yep. The the closest thing we get to an indicator of that is when Tig lists all the rival gangs. He mentions Jabba the Hutt, um, which what presumably means Jabba's still alive. Um, Although a part of me likes to imagine this takes place after Return of the Jedi and news that Jabba's dead <laughs> just hasn't reached the From crime syndicate yet. No, no, you're right. It's between episode three and episode four. And um, at, at this point, the Star Wars continuity was fairly loose. I would argue it's never been super strong to begin with. Um, a friend of um, our other podcast, Sequel Cast 2, um, where we look at movies in a franchise one film at a time. Uh, Nathan P. Butler, we had him on a few times. I don't remember him. He was in charge of the Star Wars uh, gold timeline. Oh, yes. And he's super... Um, he's he's retiring that finally because he, um, 
he he's uh, just had a child and, and all these things. Have other stuff has other stuff going on. But for years and years, he's he was he's the big Star Wars chronology guy. Is the point I'm trying to make? And I'm sure I've never talked to him about it. But I'm sure if I asked him, um, Star Wars droids is probably littered with continuity issues. Well, this is I guess this is where we get into my my thoughts on canon. To me, canon is meaningless. Uh, on a very deep intellectual storytelling level, I am offended by the notion that one fictional story is somehow more real uh, and more worthy of regard than another fictional story just based around where it fits in a timeline. Um, frankly, I prefer I prefer Star Wars with a messy continuity. I kind of prefer it when caution is thrown to the wind. Like, oh, we'll, we'll worry about that later. Yeah, and admittedly, and the Star Wars continuity hadn't snowballed at this point, you know. But I, I like the I like the idea of of Star Wars stuff outside of the movies, where creators were more free to expand uh, in in the ways they wanted to. I agree. I think part of what makes the expanded universe, so to speak, of which droids is a part of, and now it's, it's gotten kind of more complicated. When Disney took over, they sort of sliced it off and said, "Okay, we're starting a new bunch of stuff." with the exceptions, I think, of Clone Wars or something count, so to speak. But it's... Uh, no continuity is going to be perfect. Writers are going to make mistakes, and it's like, if it's... I don't know. It's, it's, it, as you said, yeah, it's fiction. It is not history. It is not real historic events you're talking about. So, yeah, I, I, I like the loosey-goosey stuff, but I, I am sort of amused on the this Wikipedia I was looking up some other episode of droids and they were saying like they mentioned the Rebel Alliance it's actually two years before the Rebel Alliance was actually formed according to blah 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 and I was like who cares <laughs> it's like okay good for you but um, anyhow back to the White Witch so the, the second half of this episode is a rescue mission really they have to go and rescue Jord and you get yeah, to see so R2D yeah, well, they all load up into the White Witch, uh, yep, fly it yep. out to the restricted zone. <laughs> and it's nice. They get to break out the White Witch. It, it moves really fast, can do a hard turn now and then. And uh, it is... I, I, I like that the, the sort of clumsiness to their plan. Like, stuff doesn't quite go right. They're not just zapping robots left and right. Um, R2-D2 really shows his skill, which I think he's sort of a hacker, really. He can hack into systems and open doors and so forth. Well, yeah, C-3PO creates a distraction. Uh, R2-D2 opens up opens up the base, but then they load R2-D2 into the White Witch. Uh, and so C-3PO and Kia have to sneak into a control room to find Thal while... Uh, while uh, sorry, to find Jord while Thal... Uh, R2 and the White Witch go zipping around through corridors to do their daring rescue. And this is kind of delightfully, like, delightfully video gamey. Before yeah, video yeah. gamey was a term you could use to describe a lot of things, where we keep cutting back to uh, Kia and C3PO in the control center and the White Witch zipping through these corridors. And there were obstacles, there were doors that open and close, there are elevator shafts that get crowded. Yeah, it's it's nice. And at, at first, you know, when they, they show the White Witch, it's going to go through a door and the door is closing, and then it opens and it just goes through. Like, at first, I'm like, wait a second, normally that scene would be the door is about to close all the way and the ship just goes through at the last second. But then it's like, oh, that's right, R2-D2 overloaded uh, the circuits on every on the security. And well, well, no, uh, C-3PO kicked the control console. Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> and right. the short circuit made things go haywire. Yeah. Um 
But we get to see a lot of just almost pornographically rendered uh, droid designs throughout the sequence. And we get some more fast-talking C-3PO and some more comedy, because there's a part where once uh, the From gang realizes that the base has been infiltrated and start going on, they start going on alert, uh, this security droid comes into the control room and C-3PO, uh, C-3PO you know, goes like, uh, I was like, please, you'll have to, we're repairing this console, we're the maintenance crew. What do you mean we're not the maintenance crew? <laughs> oh, you're the maintenance crew. Well, yes, that's because we are security. <laughs> now, yeah, if you don't want to get dismantled, you better pursue those ingrates because they were those intruders because they went that way. Like, I I like the idea that C three PO is just like clever. Like droids believe him when he tells them stuff. And that, that I, happens <laughs> just moments later as well when uh, the the bad guys or the gangsters are. are sicking more robots after our heroes and saying like oh they're in sector four and then c-3po gets in the microphone change like change of plans they're in sector six and the oh, robots yeah. like spin around oh yeah we get to see some robots get blown up uh so there is so they also get one one thing so there's um they need they need to cut through something and thal mentions oh there's this old guy who came over who had me do some work on his speeder but he never picked up his stuff and he pulls out a lightsaber uh, mm. which they used, you know, to cut through a security cordon and also to eventually cut through George's uh, handcuffs. And I kind of applaud this show for its restraint. This is as much Jedi shit as we're going to get. Yeah. And they, um, that they don't immediately know what it is, I think well, speaks to... Well, C-3PO knows what it is. C-3PO knows what it is, of and course. He calls it out, oh goodness, a lightsaber! Right. But but otherwise, you know, the other characters are like um, because the the Jedi have mostly been exterminated at this point. You know, it, it's a it's a distant memory. And yeah, like no, nobody nobody is in awe of uh, of it. They're just kind of surprised, which I think is a much better reaction. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the but in the end, you know, in in all the chaos, Jord uh, uh, gets away. He does get free. They all load up into the White Witch and escape. Uh, but at this point, they are, uh, they were able to disable the droid tanks, but, uh, TIG has activated these droid, like, hover barges that now have the base surrounded and are blowing up anything that tries to leave. So, there's a bit, this is something that is just sort of so silly. They, there's an override panel that'll reboot and reactivate the droid tanks. So they send 3PO out to, 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 to activate the override and there's you know there's some comedy business where he can't lift the lid on the override console but there's this automated laser turret that he's that he kind of gets the attention of and the laser turret shoots the console and blows it up and the console is trashed except for the one button he needed to push just <laughs> dangling on yeah. a wire sure of course and he pushes it the droid tanks get activated they go out all of Tig's weaponry starts shooting at his other weaponry, and uh, in the chaos, as the base gets brought down, uh, all of our heroes escape uh, and go to uh, Kia's cruiser. Yeah, which which leads to a really pleasant little epilogue, you know, where where George says, "Hey, I promised you I'd get you to the to that big race to enter the White Witch, and now here we are. I got us a ride because Kia they've repaired Kia's cruiser, and she's agreed to drop them off on the planet they need to go to." Uh, and it's really nice. We kind of see their friendship get cemented. Uh, there's some last bits of character work. Something I love, too, is... So the chairs they're on 
are bolted to the floor of the ship like you want chairs in a vehicle to be. Yes. But if you'll notice if you'll notice they all have tracks so that they can slide in and out of consoles. Hmm. And we actually see them do that. Yeah, no, it's that really well thought out attention to detail. I also like the the race they when they go to that they're gonna be dropped off presumably at the end. The Boonta Eve classic is the same race series that we see in Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. Oh yeah. So that this little bit got dropped into Phantom Menace is a nice sort of Easter egg, and in the Phantom Menace, like that's a, almost like a thirty-minute scene. It seems like with the race, with Greg Proops. Yeah, maybe not thirty minutes, but yeah, it's a, it's a big, big sequence. So that that little bit of droids lives on in one of the live-action movies is, is kind of fun, and I'm sure we'll see more that lives on as we continue through the series. And we do we do end on one little bit of character business where. Um, where the C three was like, oh, don't, 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 don't get so full of yourself. You don't have a career as a as a racer. Racing takes control and balance and a delicate turn of the wrist. And C three PO is doing these little actorly poses, and I love it when he says delicate turn of the wrist. And there's just this really well animated thing where his he's gesturing with his left hand and doing this this sort of flourish. I absolutely love the way C three PO looks when he moves in this series. Yeah, there's a lot of thought put into it. Like it, they, understandably so, they've had to simplify his design more than R2D2. Oh yes, but you can still tell it's C3PO, and uh, in the sort of clumsy movements and, and everything. And he falls um, over. There's a pratfall sound effect. Then we iris out and go into the uh, the closing credits. Of course, you have to end on the pratfall. Um, no, this this first episode of the series is. Very, uh, very promising. I'm excited to see what's to come. I have next to no memory of droids at all, so this will be pretty new for me going through it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting this series. It's been a while since I've seen the whole thing. Right, and uh, I, I do want to state that it is a real shame you could not get this whole series legitimately on home video anywhere. Because this is not a bad show. Yeah, it, it, it really does surprise me how inaccessible this show is through legitimate means. I mean, if like this should be airing, this 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 should be airing on Boomerang or Disney XD or wherever the hell they put put the the old cartoons. This should be on video. This should be restored and put on Blu-ray. Give it some special features. I'm sure Anthony Daniels would love to talk about working on this series. I bet he would. Um, so with that note, let's go to the one of our two segments: Droid Eye for the Jedi. Ah, yes, this is where we look over the various characters in this show and decide, and try to figure out who is the secret Jedi Master lurking amongst our protagonists. Well, who do you think is the secret Jedi Master droid in this one? Well, looking, thing, looking things over, I think the secret Jedi Master is Vlix Oncard. Okay. Now, who do you think the Jedi Master is? Hmm... I think the secret Jedi Master is R2-D2. He seems to know too much for his own good. He is clever. He can get people to like him. I think that's through mind control powers. Despite the fact that he does not have a soul. That's right. Somehow, he has enough uh, midichlorians rubbed off in his circuits or something. (laughs) From all the previous Jedi's that have died around him. Yes, He's been stealthily collecting their... Actually, R2-D2 has been murdering his Jedi Masters to collect their skin cells. 
their, their skin samples to enhance, uh, to build and enhance his own his own Jedi powers despite not having a soul. That's my new backstory for R two D two. Well, so as far as far as Vlix goes, now now of course you know he he's underhanded. He is a he is a Sith Jedi Master. The whole reason he's here because he clearly doesn't want to work. Uh, with That's Tig right. Frome. But he's sizing Tig Frome up to mm. see whether he might be suitable to take on as a Sith apprentice. Because as uh, we I know, see. and as we knew even back then, only two there are. And I suspect Tig's father was Vlix's former apprentice, but he failed, and Vlix had to take him out. Which I is see. why the father figure has not shown up, not even as a hologram, not even in a vid call. We'll have to see if that comes to pass, but that's a very compelling theory, I have to say. And, and you'll notice, Vlix is never injured, Vlix is never harmed, Vlix always knows what's going on. Only the yeah. Force can do that. That's true. He has a, he keeps himself safe, he has a, a huge bird's eye view, more than he knows all the machinations. I, I think you're onto something there, Thrasher. Well, I, I, I uh, accept your concession. <laughs> all right. Uh, and next, it's uh, Tales from the Expanded Universe in which we speak about a piece of Star Wars uh, paraphernalia that we've been uh, checking out recently. So uh, what uh, what non-movie Star Wars thing have you checked out recently? Yeah, so I, I, I fired up... Uh, I enjoy getting retro games from uh, good old games. They're at GOG.com, G-O-G.com. And, uh, cool. They have a lot of Star Wars titles, and I, I checked out one I had in my library, uh, Rebel Assault. And I, I played it with the gamepad, and... Uh, Oh, could not get past chapter three, so not that good at it. But uh, it is a, uh, I think probably the, the first Star Wars CD-ROM title, and it's um, kind of an arcade-style shooter. The controls are very finicky; it only runs even at best at 15 frames a second. So there's a lot of cheap shots of you, you know, hitting into canyons and things. And, and it, yeah, it is it is a rail shooter, but yeah, with that, that's really right. It's, yeah, detailed environments for the time. It is, yeah. So it, it is not. You, although you have control to move your ship left or right, it's a very limited window. It's not, it's not Dragon's Lair, you know, but it's not, um, it's not X-wing or Tie Fighter or something where you have full control over the ship and have all these advanced features. It's just one fire button, um, and it, it, it loosely follows the the plot of the original Star Wars movie, with the last level being the Death Star. And uh, what's pretty funny is in the instruction manual. It tries to give a Star Wars reason as to why you have lives. It says because of, and this was before um, the prequels came out, but it said, oh, because of the Clone Wars technology, uh, a limited amount of clones of your pilot have been made available in case one of you expires. And I thought, that's very clever. You do not need to put that in an instruction manual, but I'm kind of glad you did. Also, you can play as a male or a female pilot. Um, and and the, it should be mentioned the the story uh, cutscenes are not full motion video. In fact, they look kind of like crude Monty Python style animations. Or are they kind of like what what you got in uh, the X Wing and Tie Fighter games of that same era? It's sort of. I'd, I'd say it's a little more advanced than that. But for instance, like they have a scene of Luke Skywalker. Um, climbing the the hills of Tatooine as that music plays from the movie. And it's a grainy still image of the movie, and then they're sort of like herkly jerkily hand animating Luke walking. 
But yeah, it's that sort of uh, similar stiff animation that the X-Wing cutscenes had. Where the bare minimum moves to get the point across. So I died on chapter 3, which means I did not complete, which was the final training mission. <laughs> I think about a quarter of the game is training levels um, that don't train you anything. I forget, is level 3, is that the asteroid field level? It is not the asteroid field that's level 2. Level 3 is... That was the one that um, always fucked me up. Yeah, is a crystal planet. Oh, yeah, the crystal caves. Really hard. Oh, it's... Because you can't tell where your ship is in relative to the wall. And so you get really bad perspective, and the best thing to do is to sort of move your ship as little as possible. I did play it on a gamepad. I do also have a joystick, but the game did not detect that. Um, but the gamepad works better than, say, the keyboard or, heaven forbid, the mouse, which I can't imagine playing that with a mouse. Um, but yeah, Rebel Assault 1. Um, I, I can't say I recommend this game, but... It, it, check out videos of it on YouTube or something. It's sort of an interesting uh, time. I mean, this this game was packed in with like all sorts of CD-ROMs and, and computers <laughs> at the time. Yeah, there was a surprising amount of LucasArts stuff that came free with, with other pieces of equipment. Uh, yeah, I don't think you'll see that now that Disney owns the whole lot. But um, anyway, go for it, Thresher. What's yours? All right, so mine's also uh, g gaming related, and in similar a lot of ways, uh, I decided to take a second look at Star the uh, Star Wars X Wing miniature game. Uh, oh, no, okay. Uh, it is currently in its second edition, which came out I think about four uh, four months ago. It's published by Fantasy Flight Games, yep. uh, and it's based on the uh, it's it's based on the Attack Wing game system, which was originally developed. Uh, appropriately enough for a World War One fighting ace miniature game, but has been repurposed for Star Trek. It's been repurposed for a D and D dragon fighting game. Uh, but the X Wing version is, of course, geared towards Star Wars. So is this the one where you play with dice? Is that right? Well, you play you play with miniatures and dice. And so what it is is you build. You know, each each player builds a fleet, and you know you do, and you agree on how big you want your fleets to be. Uh, the game currently supports uh, three factions: uh, the Rebel Alliance, the Empire, and Scum and Villainy. And uh, hmm. you know each ha and there are a handful of ships that can serve in multiple fleets. But generally, you know, you won't have rebels flying with TIE fighters unless it's that one stolen graffitied TAR fighter from Star Wars Rebels. At this point, they have brought in a lot of ships from the current expanded universe and uh, from uh, the new trilogy. But the thing that's uh, that's interesting is so, you know, every vehicle has, uh, you know, has stats that let you know how strong its shields are, how far it can fly, uh, how powerful its weapons are. But you can put cards on your vehicle to give it a special pilot or a special weapon or, or a special piece of equipment. But what's really interesting uh, that this game does is that um, the beginning of each round, every player decides how they want all their ships to move. And the way you do that is you have this dial, and on the dial is every possible maneuver the ship could make. And you <laughs> secretly set the dial to the maneuver you want the ship to make, and then players take turns revealing their dials and executing that movement. But because the movements are preset and and your opponent doesn't know how you're moving, it is entirely possible to have accidental mid-air or mid-space collisions. And this is the uh, 2.0 version of the game, is that right? Yeah, yeah, this is the, uh, the, the recent second edition. It plays... 
it plays pretty much the same way as the first edition. Uh, they've just refined uh, how a lot of like the special cards and stuff work, and the way the manu- and the, the way the maneuvers work is everything's based on templates. So you have these little like uh, you have these little like cardboard forms that show different maneuvers. So you pick the cardboard template that matches the maneuver you've chosen, uh, put it to the front of your ship's base, and then you reposition the ship to be on the other end of that template. Hmm. So does it do these moves take into account the z-axis? Uh, it does not take into account the z-axis. Uh, you can. Uh, if, if I recall, I believe there is a special maneuver you can do to try to avoid a midair collision, which represents like ducking under or over the ship that you might collide with. Um, but that's kind of that's kind of the extent of it. Although that being said, it looks kind of three D because all the ships are mounted, or all the miniatures are mounted on these uh, flying stands with transparent bases. And how long does a game take to play? Depends on the size of your fleet. If you've um, got the starter box. The starter box you can do a com- which I believe comes with one X-wing and two Tie fighters. You can do a complete a complete game in like thirty minutes uh, to forty five minutes, and that includes setup. Um, but of course, as your fleet gets bigger and as you get more players involved, it can take more time. Like I, I used to actually, I uh, with the first edition of this game, I used to work at our local game store, and they used to host a lot of X-wing tournaments. And for those, it usually took. Uh, it usually took maybe uh, an hour to sometimes an hour and a half uh, if they were doing kind of medium-sized fleets. Hmm. Cool. But it is fun. I mean, so... it feels like Star Wars. They they do a lot to give it that same atmosphere. Um, uh, I, I also I also just do like that you do get to play with a lot of the established characters. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like fun. I've always liked the space combat video games. Maybe I'll check that out. I've seen that at this store. I just didn't quite understand what it was. So thanks for explaining that, uh, not just to me, but to our listeners. So next week, oh, we'll be talking if, about... Oh, if I could give just a piece of advice. If you're looking on picking the game up, but you don't know if you want to dive all in or pay full price, a lot of game stores still have some of the first edition starter boxes, uh, and a lot of those are marked down. And all the miniatures and all the stuff for the first edition starter box you can use with the second edition. Just go to the Fantasy Flight Games website. They have these upgrade kits and these upgrade upgrade guides, uh, so that wow, you can still use all the old material. That's pretty neat. That's pretty it's sporting a, of them. I, I like that I, a lot. So, a lot yeah. of gaming companies are now are now looking towards people who have the older equipment uh, when they when they come out with new editions. Right. Um, so next week on. In Trouble Trouble, Again. In Trouble Again, a Star Wars Droids podcast, we will look at Episode 2, Escape into Terror. I love that title. Yep, very pulpy. Um, So, for In Trouble Again, uh, this is Thrasher. And this is Matt. Saying... Did you know, R2-D2, I want you to drop to eliminate an entire droid army? (laughs) 